Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 21st of December 2022. Happy hump day, first day of winter I believe it is. And really fast approaching Christmas. Good Lord. The years, it's, it's, people always say the year flew by. The year flew by. Yeah, the year felt like about 365 days. Seems about right. If you're acutely aware of time, it'll never pass more slowly. Anyway, welcome to the program. Lots to talk about. Tons of stuff to get to. First, let me tell you about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter dot locals dot com. Go check it out. All sorts of good stuff there. And uh, the week in effing review and everything else that goes with it. All right. I want to get to the show as quickly as possible so we can get over the show as quickly as possible and get on with our lives filled with the knowledge that we gain during the program. So let's get started. Lots of stuff going on, as I say, always. And we've got to start off with the January 6th committee. They have, oh my God, to hear them tell it, they've done the Lord's work. They've done all the heavy lifting. They've done everything. Jonathan Carl called it one of the most thorough investigations in American history. You've got all of these leftists still insisting that why it's the worst day, the most uh, biggest threat to our democracy since the Civil War. The historic Karine Jean-Pierre said as much yesterday from the White House podium. And the saddest part isn't that how stupid she is. The saddest part is that she seems to believe the stuff that she says. Like she, she's, you can get a kid to say anything. Like If you came over to my house for, for dinner or to hang out or watch a movie or whatever, I could pull my, particularly the, uh, well, both of them would probably be easy, eager to please, pull one of the kids over and say, go over and tell uh, Uncle Billy that he's uh, ugly. Uh, you're ugly. They'd do it. They'd say anything. They don't know what it means, but they, they, well, maybe they do at this point, but they would say just about anything. You go tell them you smell like poo. Hey, you smell like poo. Ah, they'd laugh hysterically and blah, blah, blah. It might take a little bit convincing. Corinne Jean-Pierre is that kind of way. Somebody just before she goes out there says, make sure you mention that January 6th is the biggest threat to democracy since the Civil War. You know, oh, yeah, sure. Runs right out there. Oh, the biggest threat to democracy since the Civil War. This is terrible. Like, really? Really, that's it. that's it. That's your talking point. That's the best you've got. If something's bad enough, it doesn't need to be explained. It doesn't need to. You don't need to cheapen other things to highlight how bad something is. You just say, "Hey, this is what happened. This is this is what happened." Nobody's saying, "Oh my God, the uh, the Kennedy assassination was the darkest day in democracy since the attack of Pearl Harbor." No. Now, it's pretty. It's understood that killing a president of the United States is a, is a bad day. It's a bad thing. It's not a good thing, and it doesn't need to be measured against something. That you need to measure it against something means that you have to explain what it is and explain why it's bad and tell everybody and point it out. And then you're sitting there and you're going, why would I have to do that if it's self-explanatory? It's not self-explanatory because the average person looking at it would go, yeah, a bunch of people went into the Capitol. Not good. But some of them fought police. Definitely not good. There was a little bit of property damage. Not good. But I'm pretty sure that, you know, killing 3,000 Americans on 9-11 was a little bit worse. Killing 2,500 members of the military on Pearl Harbor, kind of worse. Again, shooting the president in the head, killing him in Dallas, Texas, a little bit worse. A little bit worse. Just saying. But this is who these people are, and this is how these people operate. And you sit there and you just go, who falls for this crap? And sadly, the answer is a lot of your fellow Americans. I wish that it weren't so, but this is what happens when you neglect, well, not even neglect, when you acknowledge that the education system is going straight to hell, and then you sit back in your recliner and go, that's a shame. You know, it's the Seinfeld attitude. Look, it's great in comedy. It's great in a sitcom. You just sit back and you watch something fall apart and you just go, ah, that's a shame. Less so when you do it in reality. Not that, Look, in, here in Maryland, we had a nominal Republican governor who didn't like to burn any calories doing anything. And we'll get to Larry Hogan in a bit. He's 
going through all of his uh, exit interviews and what have you. Just a pathetic man. He can't leave the stage fast enough, but he can't walk fast. But uh, it just uh, he got Maryland. You're not going to be able to do much about the education system because Democrats simply don't give a damn. But there are states where Republicans control everything. Where they could not only just make the education, keep the liberalism out of the education system, keep the indoctrination out of the education system as best they can, but to put in good things to make sure that standards are higher. Now, the union will fight them, but who cares? The alternative is you get a whole bunch of morons in this country who hear Democrats go, greatest threat to democracy since uh, since the earth cooled. Oh, all right. Well, that's, God, that's her- horrible. Republicans are awful, and I have to vote for Democrats. I don't care how an informed, educated person votes as much as I care how a a person kept willfully ignorant votes because they didn't have a choice. They didn't have a chance. Look, most of these people, a lot of them, if you're if you're inclined to hear from Democrats and go, oh, well, that sounds good. I understand it's never worked in all of human history anywhere, but when you do it, I'm sure that you're going to be different this time. Let's do this thing. You hear that and you go, Ugh. most people would look right through that and go, that smells. That smells a lot like a litter box that hasn't been cleaned in a while. The people who don't, you're not going to reach. You're not going to be able to educate them. Not everybody is a genius. Not everybody is smart. Slip-on shoes exist for more than just convenience sake. Some people would otherwise walk around barefoot. So you can't reach them all. But when you have a White House press secretary going, this is the worst attack on democracy since the Civil War. Our democracy, oh my goodness. Most people with an IQ a little bit higher than, I don't know, their belt size, which is giving a lot of people credit considering the obesity problem in this country, would be able to see through that and go, yeah, no, 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 this is stupid. I can't partake in this. I can't partake in this, and I can't reward the people who would have so little respect for me that they would think I could partake in it. That's how the world works, or should work. But it's not. Instead, you get Karen Jean-Pierre, in all her historicness, up there behind the official seal of the President of the United States, up in front of the seal of the White House, or the plaque of the White House, and the James Brady press briefing room saying, well, worst day since the Civil War. And sadly, a room full of, at least on paper, educated journalists going, well, that makes perfect. Let me write that down. Really, I'm going to remember that one. I'm going to get that added to my sleeve tattoo. Maybe I'll get that visible on my neck. People are so stupid. So Jamie Raskin, it's kind of funny. Jamie Jamie Raskin is just a horrible person. God, just an awful, awful person. His mere existence can make you do wildly stupid. You just sit there and you go, what? Ugh. Every day you wake up and you go, thank God I'm not related to this guy. But he's always on Morning Joe. It's telling about Jamie Raskin because Jamie Raskin, to hear Jamie Raskin talk, is a brilliant man. He is a brilliant man, a brilliant litigator. He is a wonderful lawyer, and my God, he's so smart. But he only ever goes, seemingly, to Morning Joe, to MSNBC. He only ever takes that arrogance and his depth of knowledge and understanding and ability to think on his feet. He only takes it to places where he'll never actually have to use it. Nobody's questioning Jamie Raskin in any realistic kind of way that might be challenging. Nobody is going to bother talking to Jamie Raskin and say, well, you know, these charges are a little bit flimsy. And why do you guys only release things that you want us to see rather than everything? See, the American people, by and large, mostly people who won't vote for Democrats, but still, by and large, are fairly intelligent creatures. So much so that if you present evidence to us, we can weed through it and draw our own conclusions. But when somebody is drawing a conclusion for you, 
you should question that person's sincerity. You should question that person's objectivity. You should really question that person's decency. That fits Jamie Raskin to a T, perfectly. He and his fellow travelers up there on the committee are not at all interested in presenting anything other than what makes their case. Everything else that does not make their case gets on the cutting room floor. Now, how can I say that? I can say that pretty easily. These people who have come out and testified and they've shown clips of have also come out and given public statements. Now, if they're liars, that would be the perfect opportunity to impeach them, would it not? So, well, so-and-so came before the committee and they said X, Y, and Z, but when they went before the microphones afterwards, they said A, B, C, impeach them. If there are frauds amongst us, let us know. Well, they are letting us know. The frauds among us are on the panel themselves, the Jamie Raskins of the world. He went on Morning Joe today, like I said, the only places he ever goes, his little safe space, his security blanket. Mika was there with a warm cup of cocoa, ready to just wrap herself around him. Joe doesn't mind. <laughs> he gets five minutes apiece without that, without that thing coming at him. But uh, Jamie Raskin was there, and they uh, asked him about the charges and the seriousness of the charges. He goes through, and he goes, oh, they're so serious. They're the most serious charges ever. He also makes a little bit of a slip, shall we say, <laughs> which is funny. These people are so unserious. You really wonder what they think of all when you insurrection and erection sound somewhat similar. If you were writing the world's worst love poem, you could use that. If you were writing a, a poem to be used in a 1970s porno, you could use that rhyme. When you're on television and you're a serious human being, or at least declare yourselves to be, which is always kind of a giveaway if you're declaring yourself to be something you're not, uh, you should not be mixing up insurrection and erection. Unless there's something on your mind. Jamie, is there something you want to talk to your doctor about? Has it lasted more than four hours? Does the pill still... Never mind. A little too personal. Anyway, let's listen to Jamie Raskin on Morning Joe. Uh, you and the others on the committee with uh, legal expertise, um, how confident are you that the evidence is enough to inspire the DOJ to act? Very confident. We only stated charges where we thought that the evidence was abundant or overwhelming. And we believe that the prosecutors could satisfy easily every element of each of those offenses. And it makes uh, intuitive common sense as well. Interference with a federal proceeding was Donald Trump's entire purpose and plan. Stop the steal meant going in and obstructing our count of the electoral college vote. Uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States sums up exactly what he wanted to do, which was to exchange a real presidential election with a fake one. They filed all kinds of counterfeit uh, electoral college certificates, uh, which is filing a false statement. And of yeah. course, he uh, worked to incite an erection, to, uh, to assist an insurrection, uh, and uh, to uh, it give aid and comfort to an insurrection. What are you? Uh, what's on your mind there, Jamie? Just just so you hear it. Just so I know you heard it, but um, just so you hear it again in isolation. He uh, worked to incite an erection. To <laughs> it's weird. Is if you look at uh, Jamie Raskin's seemingly always wet hair, just like he just stepped out of the shower. It's like his hair was designed to do the exact opposite. Not incite one, but to prevent them. He is the personification of Saltpeter. So he's got that going for him, I guess. Like, honest to God, Montgomery County. Is there nothing? I used to live in Montgomery County. Is there no one there? There's a lot of people in Montgomery County. There's no one there. It's just like, we, we can do better than this. Can't you? I get it. It's going to be a liberal Democrat. But for the love of God, couldn't it be somebody who's not gross and embarrassing i guess not i guess not but you heard there oh it's just we only put forward the things we could prove the things we could do the things we could do that. 
these charges are absurd. Now, I'm not saying they're uh, they're not going to go anywhere. Merrick Garland is a political hack. Merrick Garland is probably the worst attorney general ever. Certainly, maybe since Ramsey Clark. If you don't know what Ramsey Clark is, Ramsey Clark uh, literally gives aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States of America. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but he uh, he uh, is just probably the worst attorney general we've ever had, especially after the fact. Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland just seems dumb and more of a figurehead. If you listen to him talk, he talks like this and he reads the teleprompter and he goes, he makes Joe Biden seem with it, right? If you got the last two draft choices for your fantasy trivia league team are Joe Biden and Merrick Garland, I'm not sure which one you're going to go for. Like, ugh, ugh. Do we have to pick? Can we? Can we? No, we have to pick I, Joe Biden. Biden, I guess, because you know, maybe I don't know. There's no winner there. But the idea that he's going to bring, he's going to give a serious thought to not bringing. Maybe he won't. He probably won't, because it's bad form. And it also means that whoever comes next in his job, the next Republican in his job, will look into the Biden administration and will then open themselves up to prosecuting them. And it just, it's a can of, at a certain point, Democrats have to realize that they just keep stepping on rakes, right? They throw the rakes out and then they step on them. Let's get rid of the filibuster for uh, appointees. Boom, three Supreme Court nominees. Wow, damn, we didn't see that coming. You were warned. So at some point, I think they're going to wise up and go, all right, we, we've gotten all we can. Because to say that you couldn't convict Donald Trump by a Washington, D.C. jury, I wouldn't be surprised if you could convict Donald Trump with a Washington, D.C. jury, no matter how weak the case is to be overturned on appeal. But the conviction is what they want. And the conviction is what they get. It's all it is, is PR with our tax dollars. One thing about these recommendations, these charges, they said, well, Donald Trump could go to prison. I think it was for 14 years if he's convicted on all of these things. Probably. I'd assume that they do their due diligence on that one, at least, when they go, well, what if you're convicted on these things? I mean, it was 40 years, whatever. It was a long time, especially for somebody at Donald Trump's age. This is about uh, what it's always been about. The only thing this has been about is preventing Donald Trump from running again and damaging Republicans as much as humanly possible by associating them with Donald Trump. You demonize what Donald Trump did or is alleged to have done, lie about it, and then you say all these Republicans support it. All these Republicans did it and they do it. It's kind of funny because Democrats stand blindly by I mean, Bill Clinton, Juanita Broderick accused him of rape. It became politically inconvenient for all the, you know, sexual harassment and all the the propositioning. Kathleen Willey, remember that? Paula Jones, he admitted Paula Jones. He admitted Jennifer Flowers. But no, that was, I didn't never, never did any of the other things. Everything points to the fact that you did all of these things, Bill. And the Democrats said, yeah, but you know what? Doesn't matter. He can dance. Like Chris Brown beating Rihanna. And people went, ah, but you know what? I like Chris Brown's music. Okay, you can, I suppose you can like Chris Brown's music. It doesn't, doesn't change the fact of what he did. Well, you know, artists. Michael Jackson. Oh, who doesn't love Michael Jackson's music? Let's talk about Michael Jackson's personal life. Let's not. Why? It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the, He's dead, all right? It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the music. Most of the people who made music have some pretty horrible things in their lives. That they've, if you're just looking at, you know, looking for things to nitpick about. But then so does everybody, honestly, if you really get down to it. It's really easy and fun to sit back and go, I'm morally superior to somebody who's been married five times. Well, okay, maybe you are on, on that front, but do you really want us crawling around the cobwebs of your past to find it? No, I don't know. You should. But the difference is Democrats want to judge Republicans, conservatives, by their worst day, their worst moment, their whatever, or just make it up and judges by it.
Whereas Democrats will accept no responsibility and no judgment for anything they've ever done, at least not long term. Back to Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a womanizer, a horrible womanizer, but he also supported abortion. So it's all good. And so you go, what the hell does that mean? Well, Bill Clinton became politically inconvenient during the uh, Me Too movement, right? Me Too and Time's Up. It was just two different ways to incorporate for tax purposes and so other people could, could make money off of it. They're, they were pretty much the same thing. And Bill Clinton became inconvenient. And Bill Clinton went away. Bill Clinton disappeared. Remember? Well, Bill Clinton, he's not going to appear. I don't think he appeared at the uh, 2016 convention. I don't think he spoke. Even when his wife was the nominee, he was in the background, by and large. 2012, in the background. Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Epstein, all these people were associated with the Clintons, were associated with Democrats. They were just kind of disappeared, just kind of disappeared. Then they got through it. They got through it. Me Too and Time's Up, the time's up for Me Too. <laughs> it just has faded, is it not? Yes, Harvey Weinstein was convicted of rape this week, but he's already been, he's already going to spend the rest of his life in jail. They got him. They got him. Bill Clinton is now socially acceptable. There was a time, and if it were anybody else but Hillary Clinton, she would have been blacklisted too. Why? Because she was the enabler. She knew what her predatory husband was doing. She knew it. She let it happen. And then she defended it. During the 1992 campaign, for those of you not old enough to remember, Hillary Clinton and George Stephanopoulos' jobs were to handle the bimbo eruptions. The bimbo eruptions. The bimbo eruptions were the women that Bill Clinton had affairs with coming out and acknowledging that they had affairs with Bill Clinton. It wasn't like all oh, these bimbos are coming out of nowhere and they're all saying they slept with Bill. There might have been a couple of that, but the vast majority of them actually did have an affair with Bill. They called them bimbos and the bimbo eruption. And the job of George Stephanopoulos and Hillary Clinton was to actively discredit, meaning deny the reality of, lie about the women who'd come forward and said that either Bill Clinton had an affair with them or Bill Clinton propositioned them, Bill Clinton grabbed them, groped them, sexually assaulted, sexually harassed, what have you. The bimbo eruptions. Hillary gets a pass for that. That was her job. She proudly did it. Democrats still do it. Look at what happened to Tara Reid when she came forward about Joe Biden. A couple of questions to Joe about, hey, will you release your Senate record so we might find whether or not she filed a complaint against you? And he's, well, no, because no, because look, there's nothing in there. Oh, all right. Well, as long as you say, as long as you, Mr. Accused, swear, pinky, will you pinky swear? You'll pinky swear? Pinky swear there's nothing in there. We will stop asking. A guy who can't remember what he had for breakfast is going to swear up and down that something. 30 years ago, never happened. Even though that woman told a bunch of people at the time. And there's that Larry King Live call in where her mother calls in to say, hey, my, wife, my daughter was sexually harassed, sexually assaulted, raped, essentially, by Joe Biden. At the time, long before anybody knew anything about you know, Me Too or even Joe Biden running for president again. It's weird how that works, isn't it? It's almost as though Democrats have completely different standards for themselves, and by that I mean they have no standards at all. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit because there's, like I say, a lot of things to get to, a lot of quick hit kind of stories. And I, I saw this one, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. And then you realize what happens to the world and how... It's the slippery slope argument. If you don't stop stupid in the snowflake stage, the larva stage, it becomes the giant avalanche. Now, at some point, it's going to get stopped because people will just go, what the? No. 
but uh, it doesn't have to get this stupid, and people don't have to be damaged by it. Now, what am, what am I talking about? The story from the bla- and you're going to hear the story, and you're going to go, "Oh God, that's a little bit melodramatic." Maybe it is, but it's still hilarious because I do like seeing these people destroy themselves. These politically correct people who simply can't function like a normal human being does or should, the way an adult should. The Blaze reporting. A film and television critic was mercilessly mocked for claiming white people portraying blue aliens in the newest Avatar movie were guilty of culturally appropriating people of color. You see this and you're like, what the hell? And you have to recognize that there are people out there who live and die by this sort of stuff. And that's why whenever you, if you're ever thinking about going to see a movie, and I encourage the participation in popular culture, uh, I understand you're funding horrible people and blah, blah, blah. But for God's sakes, if you cannot find entertainment in life uh, simply because of your politics, you're you're only going to be sitting around watching like Kirk Cameron movies. No, no, don't do that. Um, but if you look at it and you base it on critics' reviews, you've got to understand that most of the reviews of critics are based not on the content of the movie anymore. They are based on the politics of the person filtering the movie. The perfect case of this is the Ghostbusters movie, the the, the one with all the female cast. It was, oh my God, I have, I have rarely seen such a bad movie. Now, thank God I didn't go to the theater to watch it. I watched it at home. But it was terrible. The laughs were, well, they weren't there. I'd say they were forced, but they weren't there. But if you looked at the critic score versus the audience score in Rotten Tomatoes, oh, the uh, critics loved it. It was amazing. It's groundbreaking. It's empowering to see a whole bunch of women. It's not empowering to see a whole bunch of women suck. It's not, unless you're a misogynist and you go, well, I knew women couldn't be funny. But they don't leave. They just they don't care that it's not funny. They care that it's women trying to be funny. It was written by a dude, and he wasn't funny. Sorry, but that's who these critics are. So keep that in mind. So when something like this happens, it's a, it's a comeuppance. Story continues. Kathia, K-A-T-H-I-A, Kathia Woods, a writer for the Philadelphia Tribune, was eventually forced to lock down her account and make all her tweets private. She wasn't forced to do anything. She chose to do it. And you do that because people are going through your old tweets. They probably never heard of you before until you made a complete fool of yourself publicly. And then they went through and said, oh, my God, we're discovering all sorts of ways that you spewed racist crap and stupid things. And suddenly what was wildly popular with a small circle of sycophants and like-minded left-wing morons has now become a liability professionally and they turn their accounts private. That's usually how it happens. The easiest way to do this, and I tell this to my kids, I told my kids this the other day, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, because one of them was being mean to the cats, and I told her to get away from the cats, and she got all upset and ran to my wife, and like, oh, I want to get away. And I said, you know, and then she apologized for being mean to the cats. She just, she hugs the cats and like climbs on, like, wants to cuddle with, it's not like she's trying to set them on fire or anything, but she's just too aggressive with the cats. And she apologized to the cat. And I said, the easiest way to, the best way to apologize is to not do the bad thing in the first place. She knows. She knows what she's doing. The easiest way to not have to set your account to private because you got a whole bunch of stupid racist crap in your your Twitter account is to not spew a whole bunch of stupid racist crap in the first place. I understand you're conditioned to do that by the left. And it is currency amongst progressives. But uh, it's a liability amongst real people. Here's what she said, quote, At some point, we got to talk about the cultural appropriation of Avatar and white actors are cosplaying, costume playing, as POC, people of color. (laughs) It's just a mess. And it's not necessary. No amount of visual effects CGI is going to erase that. Bad lace fronts, dry synthetic braids, Jesus, fix it, end quote. Culturally, what are we culturally appropriating there? Smurfs? They're blue. They're aliens. They're like 15-foot-tall aliens, so you can't even gripe about height. You can't gripe about anything. And oh, by the way, 
The uh, Sam Waters did, or Sam something or other, doesn't matter. The star, he's blue in the movie. You don't, you're not going to recognize him. He was the star of Avatar 1. White guy, yeah, ooh, evil whitey. The uh, lead woman in the movie is uh, is um, Saldana. Can't remember her first name right now. Chloe Saldana, maybe. She plays a green woman in uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy. But she is black and Hispanic. Is she engaged in cultural appropriation? Because she's painted blue, too. It's just so stupid. These people are so damn stupid that you're, you're, their lucky breathing is a reflex because if it required any brain function whatsoever of a conscious nature, they would not remember to do it. They'd, you'd be people suffocating on the streets, just walking, and then suddenly they'd forget to breathe and, and forget what breathing is and collapse over until somebody, you know, I don't know, gave them chest compressions and mouth-to-mouth or something and reminded them, put them a little sign in front of them and said, in and out, breathe in and out. Oh, oh, yeah, you know, I forget those things. They're tough to do. <sighs> Woods brazenly or bizarrely associated the blue-colored aliens in the fantasy movie with... A world with people of color. Now, of course, she caught hell on social media because this is a special kind of stupid. <laughs> Some kind of stupid. But she did it publicly. And then she goes, oh, no, I've got to hide my tweets because they discovered a whole bunch of really serious, stupid, racist crap that she had tweeted. I don't know what the... Uh, Philadelphia Tribune is. The main paper there is the Philadelphia Inquirer, I think. So I assume that the Philadelphia Tribune is some sort of small, fringy paper, whatever. And to employ somebody who's a film critic who looks at Avatar and thinks, my God, we must discuss the subtle racism of it. They can't really have super high standards. They really can't. I'd say that... uh, we need to get over this sort of crap. We need to expose this sort of crap. But th- these people are winning. These people are in majority. The same people who look at Avatar and think, my God, racism, are the same people who elected Larry Krasner, DA, up there to not prosecute criminals. That's why it's hard to feel sympathy for these progressive cities that are going to hell in a handbasket. We've uh, got to talk a little bit about, like I say, I'm going to go hopscopping around and get a bunch of stuff. The uh, the doings here with Larry Hogan. The del- we really, somebody needs to do an intervention for Larry Hogan. Is there anybody out there who is close enough to the outgoing governor of the state of Maryland who can do an intervention and say, dude, we're just not that into you, okay? You were slightly better than the alternatives, you certainly promised to be better than the alternatives the first time. The second time we <laughs> second time we just didn't have much faith in you, but at least we could stop the hemorrhaging for a little while. And then you never really did anything, Larry, to get past a uh, a majority, a supermajority of Democrats in the legislature to stop them from overriding your veto. So you essentially became a figurehead. You're a figurehead. That was it. Your figurehead. Your legacy, as it were, is getting rid of the rain tax. Congratulations. Good job. It'll probably be back. <laughs> and uh, lowering the tolls. Lowering tolls and bridges and tunnels and things like that. And you're like, well, this will be a great basis for running for president as a Republican. No, it's just not going to happen. But he can't stop entertaining the idea because what else is Larry Hogan going to do? I don't think his family wants him around. So they're like, yeah, no, you totally you totally could get the nomination for a Republican Party. Go, sure. Travel the country. Travel the country. Please, for the love of God, travel the country. Don't be home all the time. Travel the country. This story from the Baltimore Sun, but it's actually an Associated Press story. Maryland uh, Governor Larry Hogan, a Republican weighing a 2024 White House bid, said Monday that he believes former President Donald Trump is, quote, at his lowest point ever, end quote. As the House January 6th committee wrapped up its investigation into what Hogan described as, quote, one of the darkest days in American history. Oh, it's so dark, Larry. 
the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man of Maryland has some thoughts about January 6th. In an interview with the Associated Press shortly before the committee released its recommendations, Hogan said he believes the former president should be held accountable after he, quote, inflamed kind of a, a riotous mob to go attack the seat of our democracy, end quote. Oh, good Lord. Kiss my seat, Larry. How about that? How about the fact that the riotous mob probably infiltrated with... I imagine the J. Edgar Hoover FBI headquarters building that day was pretty empty, pretty lonely. If you were in the steno pool, which is a really dated reference and probably doesn't exist anymore, but if you were in the secretarial pool, and now you call them administrative assistance pool, you probably had difficulty finding somebody to go to lunch with on January 6, 2021. Why? Because Not because everybody was down defending the Capitol. It's because you had so many FBI informants and handlers in the crowd. In the crowd out there that day. What were they doing and what were they encouraging? And were they, we don't know. The FBI won't end. We're going to talk about an ongoing investigation. See, that's the beauty of the uh, leftist game, the progressive game. It's an ongoing investigation. Well, how is it an ongoing? It's been two years. How the hell long is this investigation going to be ongoing? Well, there were thousands of people there that day. Well, no, there there were. There were millions of people in Washington, D.C. that day. There were only a couple hundred who entered the Capitol. You know exactly who they are. You've tracked their cell phone data. If you could not have concluded an investigation by now into who these people are and what they did in one of the... I mean, maybe maybe a casino has more cameras covering the grounds than the United States Capitol does. Maybe. It's unlikely, but it's possible. It's every square inch of the Capitol, except for where they take their, their pages and their interns for cheap sex, is covered by video cameras covered you could watch all of it you know exactly what went on an investigation i believe could have been conducted by stevie wonder and concluded by now with just using the surveillance footage because it's pretty obvious but that's beside the point ah blind jokes they never get old but to sit there and listen to these people. Well, we can't comment on an ongoing investigation. How many FBI informants were down? How many people were involved? How many, uh, well, we can't comment on an ongoing investigation. Well, the beauty is the investigation will be going on forever. So they'll never be able to comment on it. And they'll never, you know, see, the thing is you can't say, well, hey, the Statute of limitations is run out. They make up the crimes. They make up the statute of limitations. You can't say we're done because you can't comment on when an investigation is done. So you kind of have to rely on the honor system. They can't release a statement that this investigation is done. So you got to kind of keep asking the questions so that maybe at one point you'll get an answer that says, well, the investigation is concluded. Then you could say, how many? Well, not that aspect of the investigation. That's not concluded. So they've got this perfect storm of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They get to choose what's going on, how long it goes on. And it gives them cover to cover up their culpability. Is responsibility? Probably not. But the encouragement of such things, maybe 10 people would have done something instead of 200 people. Who knows? We maybe get some answers, but I suspect we won't get any answers when the Republicans take over. We'll get more subpoenas, we'll get more questions, and we'll get more, well, we're not able to really talk about it at this time. We can't talk about it at this time. Just, these are the people who make the rules. I'm talking about the FBI, not Congress, the real people with power in this country, the law enforcement, the enforcement appendage of the federal government. The FBI, the IRS, the CIA, all the three-letter agencies out there that nobody wants to have any engagement with. Those people, as we saw in the Twitter release, Twitter release number seven of the Twitter files, the FBI essentially had a proxy office set up at Twitter, not because they had active FBI agents in Twitter running the show and censoring Americans. They had former FBI officials, so many so that they had to set up or did set up, there were enough to bother to set up their own 
internal communication network just for former FBI employees. And the head of Twitter safety and tolerance and censorship and everything, Yule Roth, they had, uh, with the FBI, they set up a direct access communications portal for Twitter that we haven't seen, we can't see. We don't know what it is. We don't know what was said. It's a one-way street where FBI officials could send messages to Twitter officials saying, hey, watch this, block this account. Why don't you delete this tweet? Why don't you throttle back this person? All of which is a clear violation of the First Amendment. Clear violation. But because it wasn't done through email, we were only hearing about what was done through email. The FBI is far too clever to do things like this through email on mass scale. So they set up this portal. Guess what happens with this portal? Twitter can't respond. Twitter can't archive it. It didn't happen on Twitter servers, so Twitter has no way of saving these things. It's all on the FBI, and I'm sure I will bet you dollars to donuts that when Republicans get around to subpoenaing the FBI or questioning Director Christopher Wray about this portal, we will come to discover that, oh, geez, you know, that the portal was wiped clean. See, we stopped doing that uh, level of communication, that line of communication some time ago. Right around, curiously, the time that that Elon Musk bought Twitter or was buying Twitter just kind of coincided with that. And as such, without even thinking, because why would anybody think that we would do anything wrong, we deleted all of the uh, archives of digital records, if they ever existed. It's highly doubtful that they ever existed, the records of it, because the FBI, well, they're exceedingly good at wiping their fingerprints off of things. Are they not? I mean, they... (laughs) They're the agency that pioneered the use of fingerprints in criminal activity. So they would be exceedingly good at making sure that theirs do not end up on things, wouldn't you say? But don't worry, Larry Hogan will come to the rescue. It's a big uh, attack on our democracy. Quote, he says, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know what kind of legal accountability he should have but I thought it was one of the darkest days in American history. The people that try to whitewash January 6th as if nothing happened are delusional. It's an assault on democracy, much the way that I assault every buffet I come across. That last bit was just implied, but you get the idea. There's nobody saying it was nothing. There's nobody saying it was nothing. But I would like to point out that the idea that it was some sort of coup or insurrection or attempt to overthrow our government is wildly stupid. Now, either you believe something that's wildly stupid, thereby making you wildly stupid, or you are hoping other people believe something that is wildly stupid, which makes you a fraud and a liar. I don't know which Larry Hogan is. Frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a little from column A and a little from column B at this point. But let's just say that there was this giant push to seize power that day. It was a genuine insurrection, a coup attempt. Oh my goodness, a coup attempt. What was to be gained? What was to be gained by it? How would you go about it? Where is the end game? There's no secret glowing orb in the Capitol that if you seize that glowing orb, you become president, or you get to decide who becomes president, who stays president. There is no sword in a stone inside the United States Capitol. Not downplaying what happened. People were mad, angry, riled up. A couple hundred of them did something really stupid, and they should pay. Is it worth years and years and years if you get no time whatsoever and probably get some sort of civil rights settlement if you threw a Molotov cocktail at a cop during the BLM Antifa riots? No, it's... it's uh, No, I would suggest that trying to burn down federal buildings and things like that, assaults on police officers everywhere are bad. I don't want the people on January 6th who got into physical altercations with police to get away with it. I also don't want the people who spent the summer of 2020 making their living getting into physical altercations with police getting away with it either. Actually, that's the Twitter dump I'd like to see if data is all the internal communications from the BLM Antifa mutants. I'm going to see how much coordination there was, and maybe we can get a peek at their funding if they were using social media DMs to communicate. That would be interesting. 
But to say that this is a threat to our democracy, if they'd seized control of the Capitol building, what happens? It's a physical dwelling. What happens? What do they do? Are they suddenly in charge of the United States government? If they, they is the uh, the Viking guy or whatever the hell he was, is he now president of the United States because he sat in the president pro temp's chair in the United States Senate? No. They did certify the vote. Now they waited until they went back into the chamber to certify the vote of the electoral college. Okay, but they didn't have to. Where the Senate doesn't have to meet, the House doesn't have to meet in their chambers. Technically, they could convene wherever the hell they want. The rules are very free about that. And they can be changed at any time. So if he uh, stopped the certification. So what? You delayed the certification by a couple hours. Bad, not good. But even if the certification didn't happen that day... Joe Biden was still going to be president of the United States on January 20th. That's just how it works. It's one hoop you got to jump through. It's a box you got to check. You're getting married. Oh, geez, I forgot to file the uh, or submit the marriage license. We for, we signed it. Let's uh, You're still married. All right. Sign the document. Send it in. There is no sword in the stone hidden in the... Trust me, I've crawled all over that building. There is no sword in the stone in there that if you just get there, you can stop the government from functioning. The only way to really mess with a peaceful transfer of power, to really hinder it, is to use the power of the federal government through agencies like the FBI, the CIA, the IRS to hinder, hamper, infiltrate, inspire, bastardize, punish your opponents and silence any criticism to keep people ignorant of certain truths that would change the outcome of an election. To do, well, to do what Democrats did. In the Hunter Biden story and pretty much anybody else who dared ask any kinds of questions of Joe Biden and his history and his family and how they got rich. To demonize anybody who dares question those things as a conspiracy theorist who's threatening the very fabric of our democracy. And to do so under the guise of official government sicking the IRS and your political opponents to make sure that they can't get tax-exempt status and therefore have to sit out the 2012 election. Those sorts of things. Those are a threat to democracy. If you want to know what Democrats are really doing, just take a look at what they're accusing Republicans of doing. That always been and always will be. That's how it works. In other news, really quick, I just wanted to point this out because this is, if you drink... J&B Whiskey, I want you to be aware of what you're supporting and, and where we're going as a society. Breitbart has this story. It's There's no real words to this commercial, and it's like three minutes long. It's a promotional thing. I, I tweeted it out this morning. So you can find it in my Twitter feed if you really want to see it, but it's the words that are spoken are spoken in Spanish. It appears to be set in South America somewhere, Mexico, who knows. But it's, or no, it's, I guess it's in rural Spain, according to this. It's an old man who's sitting at home. His wife comes home. Hey, no, no words. She sets down her purse and there's her lipstick hanging out of her purse. And so the old man reaches over and grabs the lipstick, grabs the lipstick and runs into the bathroom and puts it on. The guy's 70s, 80s, something like that. Puts his lipstick on. And then he looks at himself in the mirror happily and then disgustedly and wipes it off, sad again, going, oh, I must deny who I am. And then he's shopping at the store and he sees a little makeup kit and he buys the makeup kit along with all the other crap that he's buying. And for some reason, the it's just a small little compact or something, but the lady behind the counter looks at him like, what are you up to, old man? Are you a per?" I don't think that anybody would turn their head if some man was buying no matter what their age buying makeup you just assume they probably wouldn't even think about it 
But he looks at it, and he goes home, and he puts the makeup on. And then he wipes it off. And then then he discovers that his grandson is putting on makeup, too. And the kid, he finds a telltale sign. So he takes the kid into the bathroom. Says, and doesn't say anything, but shows him his hidden stash of makeup. And so the little kid, not the little kid, the teenager or whatever, puts on all the makeup, and Grandpa couldn't have been prouder. Well, he could be prouder if he were Grandma, but he's not. And then they come out, and the kid is then presented to Grandpa, who's not wearing makeup, Grandpa's daughter, presumably, saying, look, because they don't, this is all without words. Look, your son is really your daughter, and it's time to get over it. And I've oppressed my true self my whole life, don't do the same to your son. And they embrace. And it's like, oh, this proud moment of, oh, yeah, this is wonderful. And accepting people for who they are, which is fine, except for it's a bunch of crap. Sitting there, grandpa's a pre- So you're saying what? What are you saying? That uh, people who, trans people, I guess, are more likely to have trans kids? Is that what you're saying? That doesn't seem to make any sense. It'd be in the DNA that you'd want to wear makeup. But it's just a mess. It's three minutes of this crap. So if you're buying J&B scotch or whiskey or whatever the hell they do, uh, this is what you're supporting. This is what the corporate world has come. Now, this is Spain, but it's here in the United States. It's all one big company. And tis the season for Christmas or whatever. I don't, I don't know what the hell they're trying to sell, but I wish I kind of liked the taste of paint thinner so I could no longer drink this crap. So this... You can check out this whiskey commercial for yourself. It's like three minutes long. It's on YouTube. And you just sit there and you go, what the hell? Why? Why? Who is this designed to appeal to? What is this designed to do? I I don't care. I know people exist. And I don't care that people exist. The point of a company is to sell things, right? It's to make money. Not to social change. Social change. All right. If I'm a, a stockholder... In whatever company J and B whiskey is, I'm gonna be pissed off. It's like, wait a second, you're sitting here and you're you're narrowing the market wildly. Because now, granted, I don't drink this stuff, and I'm not a fan. Like, I've never had. I guess I've had good whiskey. I've never had great whiskey. I've never had the wildly expensive stuff. I've had the twelve year things. That's like forty or fifty dollars a bottle. I've had some of that. It's pretty good. It's okay. It's still the really good stuff. I can't even remember what it was. It was the stuff where there's no like afterwards. There's no burn. It's just super smooth. There's this stuff called XO Vodka. XO. I can't find it anywhere. I think it was something. It might have had a different name too. It was so good. It was no burn. It was You could sip it with no mix, nothing. Just put it on ice and sip it. And it was... Not like, like I like vodka. I've drank more than a swimming pool's worth of it in my lifetime. But it's like, you drink it. That first couple of drinks, you're like, I got to get past the burn. And then it doesn't matter. Then it's not repulsive. This stuff was great. And I've had like one or two cups of glasses of, of whiskey where you're like, this is really good stuff. But I've never bought any. And I just look at that really expensive stuff and I can't bring myself to spend the money on it. But I think this probably, it has to be pretty good, right? But most of it tastes like paint thinner. The stuff that's like 20 bucks a bottle. Jack Daniels, I had a bad experience on Jack Daniels once. And it's kind of that level of it. So I kind of wish I drank this crap so I could not drink it. Now it just, and so lead such a boring life, I don't even really drink anymore at all. It's funny because we drive, there's a liquor store near here. And if you drive past our street down the main street, like the the next one you come to is it's also the same neighborhood so you can go in either way but we always turn into the first one and every time i drive past especially at christmas time because i want to take the girls around while we're out if it's dusk show them the christmas lights so we'll take the long way home we drive past our street and you're coming up before you turn you come up to this liquor store and bailey the four-year-old always goes you missed our street said, i know are you going to get beer? <laughs> if we buy lottery tickets or something, or my wife wants wine, that's where we go. And it's also called the beer. We call it the beer store. 
Are you going to get beer? Now, keep in mind, I've probably drank, I don't know, a dozen beers throughout Bailey's entire life. She's never seen me drunk. But are you going to get beer every time? I do? Like, I don't, I'm not the one who goes into the store. I don't go in. I'm not like I'm a, a, just a lush sitting around getting hammered all the time. No. Are you going to get beer? It always cracks me up. Like, you've never seen me drunk. All right, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't go to parties. I don't go to the bars. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm sitting. At, if I was sitting at home getting drunk all the time, you'd have an intervention. If you just, or if you just listened to my daughter, you'd think, my God, he needs an intervention. No, I'm not going to get beer. We're going to look at Christmas lights. Kids today, just kind of funny. Speaking of kids today, <clears throat> I am. Um, Along the non-binary, on the gender non-conforming spectrum, comes this story. It is, um, it makes you think that maybe, just maybe, at least for some of these people, if not for a huge swath of them, the non-binary, there, there seems to be when the chips are down, when nobody's looking, because it's super trendy to go, I'm non-binary, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. When the chips are down, and this is why I think, it, you know, when you look at the surveys, you go, 25% of, of the millennials or whatever, Gen Z, or I can't even remember what they call the current generation, of kids in high school, they're, they're uh, non-binary, they're, they're gender non-conforming, they're gender fluid, they're whatever, you know, they're bisexual, I don't really think so. It's really easy to go, Oh, yeah, I, I totally am open to all of that. I'm bi, I'm non-bi. Check that box. But acting on it, different thing. Different thing altogether. When the chips are down and nobody's looking, the uh, the boys and girls who are going, I'm gender non-conforming and I am, uh, I'm part of the LGBTQ mafia. Yeah, you, know, you want to make out with your, your best friend there, dude? No, no, ew, yeah. When nobody's looking, I don't think anybody's doing anything that they don't want anybody looking at. But uh, same goes for adults. This story, a prominent artist and activist who identifies as non-binary queer. But doesn't that seem, I don't know, kind of contradictory? Whatever. Non-binary queer was arrested for trying to arrange sexual intercourse with a nine-year-old boy in uh, New York City. Huh? 35-year-old Ephraim Zaloni Mindel was arrested Friday and charged with attempted enticement of a minor in possession and distribution of child pornography. Seems like this non-binary business, seems like when nobody's looking, maybe he's binary. Maybe he's, he's on one side of the scale. You can decide which side of the scale. But Prosecutors allege that Zaloni Mindel ever is hyphenated. I, I, there's something about men with hyphenated last names. I don't know. I just tend not to trust them. Just like, like grown men who go by, by Joey, or Billy. Like at a certain point, you got to grow out of it, don't you? Why, why do you do that? Why do you go by Joey or Billy? And if your uh, hyphenated last name, and I mean, why is your name hyphenated? Uh, prosecutors allege Zaloni Mindel contacted an FBI undercover agent, believing he was a father of a nine-year-old boy and tried to arrange to have intercourse with the child quote Zaloni Mindel allegedly attempted to engage in sexual activity with a nine-year-old boy the prosecution uh, uh the protection of children from predation remains a critical of critical importance to this office now I looked up this guy he's, pro he's prominent enough to be written up and he's you know was pro if you search news for him you don't find many stories about this but you do find, like, a Vogue profile. Ephraim Zaloni Mindel invites people into a conversation with witness. He's a photo artist. Glowing profiles in Vogue. One would think that if you get a glowing profile of your work in Vogue, that being arrested trying to have sex with a nine-year-old might be worthy of a follow-up by Vogue. But it's not. It's with so much of the left... It's like ServPro came through, like it never even happened. When you can help them, you're their hero. When you hurt them, you don't exist. That's how the progressive left works. But we notice. Pepperidge Farm remembers. 
Anyway, we're out of time for today, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate you listening, the use of your ears. Tell your friends, spread the word. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. Have a great one. 